In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Tonight, we will continue our Bible study. Uh, we will study the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 6. St. Luke is carefully presenting our Lord Jesus Christ's authority in interpreting the scripture and the law. Because there was a dispute about one of the Ten Commandments, the commandments keeping the Lord's Day holy, and how this commandment is interpreted. Also, he demonstrated his unique power and authority of his ministry. Also, he is drawing our attention to the growing opposition. St. Luke is drawing our attention to the growing opposition of the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, the priests, high priests, through a series of encounters on the Old Covenant Sabbath. What does it mean to keep the day of the Lord holy? We notice that in, in chapter 4, from verse 31 to 37, the Lord healed a person on Sabbath, but without any opposition. After the news of his miracle and his actions began to spread, then the result, some scribes and Pharisees came from Jerusalem. At the time, Jesus was in Galilee, and Galilee is in the north, Samaria in the center, uh, Judea in the south. Keeping this map in our mind is very helpful. So the Lord actually performed this miracle in Galilee. The news spread to Judea, where all the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders uh, live. So they sent some people from the Pharisees and scribes to Galilee to observe his teaching, the miracles, and actually they start to question his authority and to challenge the miracles that he did on the Sabbath as a one who is breaking the law. Uh, and the sequence of events is repeated in this chapter uh, where actually our Lord Jesus Christ heals on the Sabbath. But this time, the opposition of the Pharisees is intensified. So the first miracle, there was no opposition. Then there are two miracles in chapter 6. And we can see how with each miracle, the opposition is more intensified. And with the second miracle in chapter 6, the opposition reaches the point at which they are actively conspiring to present a formal charge against the Lord Jesus Christ. The outline of the chapter, verse 1 to 5, Jesus is the Lord of Sabbath. 6 to 11, 
healing on the Sabbath. The tw uh, 12 to 16, choosing or appointing the 12 apostles. 17 to 19, Jesus heals a great multitude. From 20 to 23, the Beatitudes. Uh, then from 24 to 26, Jesus pronounced woes. 27 to 36, love your enemies. 37 to 42, do not judge. 43 to 45, a tree is known by its fruit. Then the last three verses build on the rock. So this chapter is 49 verses. We'll study half of it today. We'll not cover all of it. We'll study till verse 26 today. So let's start with verse 1. Now it happened on the second Sabbath, second th Sabbath, after the first, that he went through the grain fields, and his disciples plucked the heads of grain and ate them, rubbing them in their hands. So, in these five verses, we see the response to the Pharisees and the scribes' criticism of his disciples. And here the Lord asserts his claim of authority over the Sabbath. He told them, the Son of Man is the Lord of Sabbath. But St. Luke said, on the second the Sabbath after the first. What does this mean? So, St. Luke, as an accurate historian, he is recording that this event happened on the second Sabbath after the first. St. Luke was a physician, so he has a scientific mentality, so he won't actually anything to mention to be accurately recorded. And using the scientific methods, he sought to gather as far as he could different dates, and he heard many people in the course of his inquiries. So again, what does the second Sabbath mean? We have different interpretation from different scholars. So, some think that it was either the seventh day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, or the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. This was one interpretation. Other, that it was the Sabbath which fell that year on the day of Pentecost. So actually, they connected this Sabbath with the three major, three major feasts, Passover and Unleavened Bread, or the Tabernacle, or the Pentecost. Others have been of opinion that as the Jews had two beginnings of their year, the one on civil accounts in Tisri, and the other on ecclesiastical accounts in Nisan. So the second Sabbath may refer to the ecclesiastic one. 
But what seems most likely is that this Sabbath was, and it may be described that it is the first Sabbath after the second day of the Passover. When the sheaf of the first fruits was offered, and harvest might be begun, which suits well with ears of corn being ripe at the time which the disciples rub. You know, they start collecting the harvest immediately after the Passover. So most probably it is the Sabbath after the Passover, especially the disciples collected the, the grain and they rubbed its heads. Actually, what went wrong? Is it considered stealing when, when, the, when the disciples start to pluck the heads of grain and eat them? So what bothered the scribe and Pharisees as we read in verse 2? Some of the Pharisees said to them, Why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? If this is stealing, then it has nothing to do with the Sabbath. Because stealing is wrong, whether on the Sabbath or any other day. So actually, there was nothing wrong with what they did. Their picking up was not considered stealing according to the provision of the poor of the land given in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25. So the problem was with the day on which they did it. The rabbis made an elaborate list of do and don'ts on the Sabbath. So this one violated one of the items on this list. When the disciples did what they did in the eyes of the rabbis, they were guilty of reaping, threshing, winnowing, and preparing food. And these, according to them, were violations to the Sabbath. But the Lord, how he responded to them, in verse 3 he told them, but Jesus answering them said, Have you not even read this, what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he went into the house of God, took and ate the showbread, and also gave some to those with him, which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat. And he said to them, The Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. So, Jesus directed their attention to the story of David and his men, and how they were given permission to eat the holy bread of the sanctuary when they were hungry. And David's visit to the sanctuary at Nob, and Nob was the city of the priests, took place evidently on the Sabbath. Why? How did we know? Of course, the Lord mentioned. But 
the fresh supply of the shoe bread has been apparently just laid out because they change it every Sabbath. Also, he must to have violated another rule by his journey on that day. So he violated two rules. He ate what only was allowed the priest to eat and also he did it on the Sabbath. So here the Lord challenged them. Have you not read? Calls into question their understanding of the scripture. So the point is that the law was not meant to be so rigid as to be without mercy and compassion. This is not how we apply the law. God said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Then the Lord told them, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. What does this mean? This means he is claiming divine authority to determine what is and is not a Sabbath violation of the law. He is the Lord. He is the one who can say what is violation and what is not violation. So this was a direct claim to deity that he is divine, he is God. Jesus said that he had the authority to know if his disciples broke the Sabbath law because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And this interpretation is made clear in the same episode recorded by St. Matthew. Uh, because in the same story as we read it in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, the Lord told him, told them, something greater than the temple is here. And who is greater than the temple? He is referring to himself and to his mission. So, Jesus is not doing away with the Sabbath prohibitions. No. But he is probably redefining those prohibitions in a spiritual way. Verse 6. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. Then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as good as the other. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Another Sabbath. Whether the following Sabbath or sometime after, not certain. 
St. Luke inserts this scene which may have taken place several weeks after the first one eating the grains on the Sabbath because it completes in a way the teaching of the Lord on this important point of the ceremonial law. So St. Luke's focus is on the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ in interpreting scripture and the law and his power and authority of his ministry. Actually, the Pharisees admitted that Jesus had the power of God to work miracles because they were watching him whether he's going to heal or not. So they admitted that Jesus has power to heal. Yet, they sought to trap him. And instead of believing in him, they wanted actually to catch him. So they watched him closely, but with no heart of love for him, rather to catch him with something that he might do in order to bring accusation against him. And the controversy surrounding Sabbath healing increases in this episode. Why? Because Jesus actually intensified the controversy by challenging the Pharisees on the real issue concerning what's lawful and unlawful concerning the Sabbath. He asked them questions. Is it lawful to do good or evil, to save life or to destroy it? And notice that the man does not did not ask to be healed. It is the Lord Jesus who offered this invitation to him. And the Lord asked them a question to challenge them and placed them in dilemma. He told them, Is it good to heal this man on Sabbath? Or it is good to do evil on Sabbath. Like you are here on the Sabbath lying in wait to trap me and to catch me. That's evil. Is it better to save life of this man by healing him or to destroy life as you are lying in wait for me in conspiracy to kill me and to destroy my life? Who is violating the Sabbath? Is it me or you? So he challenged them. Is it right to do evil on Sabbath? Or is it right to destroy life? If the answer, it is lawful to do good and to save life on on Sabbath, they will be giving Jesus permission to heal on the Sabbath. But he looked at them St. Mark, in his gospel, when he mentioned this miracle, St. Mark added, with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts. So he looked at them with indignation, grieved by the hardness of their heart. He looked around, waiting for an answer, but nobody answered his question. So he proceeded to heal. He commanded the man to do something impossible in his current condition. With withered hand, he cannot stretch his hand. 
But the Lord gave him the commandment, the command, and the ability to fulfill it. And the man put forth the effort and was healed. And I want to tell you something here. This applies also to the spiritual commandment. Any commandment, love your enemy, pray for those who spitefully persecute you. All these commandments, sometimes we say we cannot do it. But the Lord, as he commanded the man with withered hand, to stretch his hand, so he gave him the command and also the ability to do it, the same applies for any spiritual commandment. When God gave us commandment, he gave us the power and ability to do it. Just let us try to stretch our hands and we'll be able to do it. Obviously, the rage and planning for murder, they discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus, how to get rid of him, were far greater violations of the Sabbath than healing of the man with withered hand. The evil, the conspiracy to destroy him, this is the violation to the Sabbath, not the healing of man with withered hand on the Sabbath. Verse 12. Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself. Disciples, all the followers. And from them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. Apostles mean ambassadors or messengers. Simon, whom he also named Peter, and Andrew his brother. James and John. Philip and Bartholomew. Matthew and Thomas. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon called the Zealot. Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who also became a traitor. St. Luke started verse 12 by saying, in those days, because now he is shifting the topic from the controversy about the Sabbath. And St. Luke in his Gospel, actually, he laid stress on the prayer in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, and here we can see our Lord Jesus Christ was at a critical point in his ministry. He offended the traditions of the religious leaders of Israel and he began to plot his death. Also the political leadership began to plan his destruction according to Mark chapter 3 verse 6. So in response to these pressures and changing situations, he went out to the mountain to pray 
continued all night in prayer to the Father. Also, Jesus was about to choose his disciples. In one sense, there was nothing in his ministry before the cross more important than this event, choosing and appointing the 12 apostles. Why? Because these were the men who would carry on what he had done. And without them, the work of Jesus would never extend to the whole world. They preached the good news of salvation to the whole world. That's why no wonder that Jesus gave this critical choice an entire night of prayer. Jesus is God, but he did not simply use his infinite knowledge to pick the apostles. He emptied himself. That's why he prayed all night. As God-man, he emptied himself and he was growing. Uh, yeah, his humanity is perfect. So he prayed all night. So like every other struggle Jesus faced, he faced this one as God who became man. A man who needed to speak, to seek the will of his father and rely on the power of the Holy Spirit just as we all do. And St. Luke, as I said, frequently in his gospel alludes to Jesus spending periods of time in prayer. Uh, also St. Luke would have his readers never lose sight of the perfect humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so, while St. Luke is focusing on the higher objects of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, but also he is careful to present Jesus as example uh, of a true life to all of us. Why Jesus chose 12? Why 12? This was the foundation of the new chosen people, and Israel the chosen people in the Old Testament were 12 tribes. So here Jesus chose 12 apostles. And the word apostle, as I said, means one who is sent envoy or ambassador. These apostles, these blessed men, received this as an official designation. And until now, we call them our fathers, the apostles. Jesus chose Judas, knowing how he would turn out and became a traitor. And this was not a surprise for him. In John chapter 6, verse 70, he told them that he chose them and he knew one of them was a devil. Verse 17. And he came down with them and he stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon. Judea and Jerusalem 
Israel, Tyre and Sidon Gentiles, who came to hear him and be healed of their disease, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, just to touch him. For power went out from him and healed them all. So, in verse 12, Jesus and his disciples went up on the mountain. He prayed and he chose the disciples. But now they have come down from the mountain to stand on level ground before he begins he began to teach not only the disciples but the crowd of people who have gathered and actually the teaching is very similar to the sermon on the mountain in Matthew 5 6 and 7 but I want to bring to your attention Matthew 5, 6, 7, we call it Sermon on that mountain. But here actually, it said it stood on a level place. So, the work described in these few verses and the teaching recorded till the end of the chapter took place on a level place. So, some said then these are two homilies, two sermons. Not the same one. He gave one from the mountain, Matthew 5, 6, 7, and another one from a little place in, in Luke chapter 6. So, some think that the Gospel of St. Luke record different beatitude teaching than the one found in Matthew the Gospel of Jesus. But the scholars have three theories why the two sermons there are some similarities and some differences. So the first theory both Gospels give different account of the same sermon. So it is the same sermon, but Luke actually gives summary and Matthew mentioned the sermon in detail. That's one theory. Another theory, the Gospels reflect two different homilies spoken at different times during the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third theory that these two homilies were delivered in close succession. When the Lord was on the summit of the mountain, he taught the disciples the long sermon. Then, when he descended on the plain, he gave the short one to the multitude. But there is another explanation. Some observed that the area around the Sea of Galilee, which includes the traditional Mount of Beatitudes, where the Sermon on the Mountain is said to be delivered there, 
So the surrounding area around the Sea of Galilee is like a mountain when looking from the Sea of Galilee. So if you are standing at the seashore, you will see this like a mountain, hill. But it is like a level place when one stands on or above it. So if you look from the sea, it looks like a mountain, but if you go on it, you will find it level or like a plain. So whatever, these are different theories, but we see here how people came from great distances to be healed and delivered from demonic spirits by the Lord Jesus Christ. Even Gentiles came from Tyre and Sidon. And the power of the Spirit of God flowed from the Lord Jesus Christ to whoever he touched him. In the same Gospel, chapter 8, we, we read the story of a woman who was healed simply by grasping the tassel on Jesus' cloak. So, in the next verses, we will find four Beatitudes and four uh, woes. And they are opposite each other. Verse 20, Then he lifted up his eyes toward his disciples and said, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you shall be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and cast out your name as evil for the son of man's sake. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven, for in like manner their fathers did to the prophets. So these are the four Beatitudes. So the sermon is delivered first, first of all, for the circle of the disciples, but in the presence of the people and for the people. Blessed are the poor. Poverty here is a poverty in spirit. What does it mean poverty in spirit? Recognize that I don't have any spiritual resources. I don't have any spiritual assets. My righteousness is zero. So, poverty of the spirit cannot be artificially occurred by self-hatred. No, the Lord did not mean this. But it comes as the Holy Spirit works in our heart and we respond to Him. Like if this place is dark and you have a candle, only one candle. Once the sun starts to shine, you will discover the poverty of this candle. It's nothing in the shining of the sun. So, here, acknowledging that my righteousness away from God is like the light of a candle, or even less. 
But the righteousness of Christ is like sunshine. And this is where we should start. When you recognize your poverty. Because you will never ask for the righteousness of Christ as long as you believe you are righteous. But once I discover my poverty, then I will be hungry and thirsty for righteousness of Christ. That's why in Isaiah 66 verse 2, But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. Poverty of spirit is an absolute prerequisite for receiving the kingdom of God. Because as long as we keep illusions about our own spiritual resources, our own righteousness, we will never receive from God what we absolutely need. So this blessing to the poor is first placed for a reason, because it puts the following commands into perspective. They cannot be fulfilled, the following commands cannot be fulfilled in our own strength. Like when the Lord in the same chapter told us, love your enemies. No one can do it by his own strength. But only we can do it by a bigger reliance on God's power. Second one, blessed are those who are hungry. Not suffer hunger and thirst in literal sense, physical, but who, those who have hunger and thirst in a spiritual sense for righteousness and eternal life. Meaning what? When I discover my poverty, then I am hungry for the true righteousness. When I discover the darkness in which I am living, I am hungry for the sun to shine in my life. So, as the body has its natural appetites of hunger and thirst for food and drink, suited to its nourishment, so has the soul also the natural appetite to the righteousness of Christ. And as the body depends on its nourishment, health, and strength upon the earth, so the soul depends on these things for in a heavenly way. Jesus spoke here of those who have who had an earnest longing for this relationship with God that they are lacking. I am lacking this righteousness. Now I am hungry and thirsty to this righteousness. This intense longing uh, can only be compared to a starving man for food, but here is sure of satisfaction. Blessed are those who are hungry for righteousness, for they will be fulfilled. The third one, mourning, grieving. As St. Augustine said, no blessing uh, from heaven attached to the world grief or the world sorrow. So, the sorrow of this world, there is no blessing for it. When we are sorrowful for this world or things of this world. 
But what the Lord Jesus speaks about here is noble grief. Weeping for our sins and sins of others. Of our exile here on earth. St. Ambrose says, It befits you to weep over the world, but to rejoice in the Lord. Be sorrowful for repentance and rejoice in the grace. St. Paul compared between these two types of sorrow in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. He said, Godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So, when I discover my poverty and I am hungry for the righteousness of Christ, then I will be sorrowful in a godly way. Sorrowful for my condition. Because this sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, leading to fulfillment receiving the righteousness of Christ. And then actually, when I attain the righteousness of Christ, Satan will actually start to attack me and make people hate me, persecute me. In verse 22, actually, uh, blessed are you when men hate you, and when they exclude you, hate you, exclude you, revile you, cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Four things here. Hate you, exclude you, revile you, cast out your name as evil. So that is the extent of hatred that will be brought against the followers of Christ. But all these things for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. But the Lord told us about our name will be evil. And actually, as he said, and cast out your name as evil. Cast out your name as evil. And it did not take long for these words of Jesus to become true. Because the followers of Jesus were called either Nazarene or Christian. And both names were matter of reproach in the mouth of their enemies. In James, in the letter of James chapter 2 verse 7, Do they not blaspheme that, that noble name by which you are called? And in Acts 24 verse 5, called St. Peter, St. Paul, a ringleader of the sect of Nazarene. And this was actually a character of a hostile fellow, a mover of agitation. And he told, and exclude you, exclude you, and look here is spoken of their separation or excommunication from the synagogue. So, and they will cast your name as evil in itself. But we can see the paradox here. They are so happy when they are hated. Why? Because this persecuted one will receive greater reward in heaven. And also now, they are in a good company 
They did the same with the prophets before us. The prophets were persecuted. And actually, the followers of our Lord Jesus Christ were persecuted and until now. Uh, not only the apostles, but until now, the followers of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, are persecuted. So, what are the examples of how prophets uh, were persecuted in the Old Testament? Because the Lord, he said, did the same to the prophets. So these men of God endured this treatment during several generations, while even princes sat on the thrones of Judah and Israel. Elijah mourned the general massacre of his brothers, the prophets, when Ahab and Jezebel reigned, he said to the Lord, they killed your prophets and remained me alone. Urijah was slain by Jehoiakim, as we read in Jeremiah 26, verse 23. Jeremiah himself underwent long and peaceful persecution. One time they threw him in a pit full of mud. Amos was accused and banished, and according to the tradition, he was beaten to death. So these are only just a few instances of the treatment which faithful prophets of the Lord had undergone. As the Lord mentioned four uh, Beatitudes, he mentioned uh, four woes. And this will be the conclusion of our Bible study tonight. First one, but woe to you who are rich. The first beatitude for the poor. Now rich, for you have received your consolation. Second beatitude for the hungry. Here woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Third one for those who are mourning. Here woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. The fourth one for those who were reviled for the name of the Lord Jesus. See, here woe to you when all men speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. So the true prophets were persecuted, but the false prophets were praised by men. Woe to you. So the tone of our Lord Jesus Christ is a tone of pity, expression of regret and compassion rather than denunciation. Uh, so the woes here to balance the Beatitudes. And St. Luke actually as also a physician of the soul, not only a physician of the body. So he is treasuring up and recording to us all the warning again in the temptation that the wealth and richness bring with it. Uh, because love of money is the root of all evil. So here the, the truth was plainly recorded in this woe. Woe to you uh, who are rich, 
for you, you have received your consolation. But also the Gospel of St. Luke has the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And in this story, he actually made it clear how those who trust in the money and put their trust in the wealth, how they may lose their eternal life. So the woe here is not just for the rich. Rich means here those who trust in riches. Those who have the abundance of this world wealth and instead of serving God with it, serve their lusts with it. Woe to them for they have received their consolation that which they placed their happiness in during their life on earth. Second one, woe to you are full. So this saying point to men who used their wealth for self-indulgence, for the mere gratification of the senses. The third one, those who laugh. Definitely the Lord is not against laughing here. But this should be understood. Those who are sinfully merry. Or at least those who have no true cause of spiritual joy. And the last one, woe to you when all men speak well of you. This woe also, like the previous one, is opposed to the fourth beatitude, when they revile you. Woe to those who make it their great and only care to gain the praise and applause of men. Even if I compromise the doctrine, the teaching of God, just to gain the applause of men, who value themselves upon that more than upon the favor of God and his acceptance. And here in the Beatitudes and in the woes, we see how the Lord Jesus Christ exalted what the world despises and rejected what the world admires. Jesus turned upside down their perception of the kingdom of God. This actually concludes our Bible study. Uh, today, as I said, I will give a quick summary in Arabic in just five minutes. درس كتاب مقدس نارد من لوح صح ستة في الصح ده قديس لوح بيؤكد على سلطان ربنا كإله. على تفسير الوصية لأن هو وضع الوصية مين أكثر واحد يفسر الوصية اللي وضع الوصية فهنا بيبتدي الصحب يقوله في السبت الثاني بعد الأول أنه ثاني وأنه أول هنا اكتازة بين الزروع كان تلاميذ واختفون السنابل لو أنت عارفين إن كان وقت الحصاد بيبتدي على طول بعد عيد الفصح ويستمر سبع أسابيع وبينتهي بعيد الخمسين أو عيد الحصاد عشان كده غالبا السبت الثاني بعد الأول يقصد به السبت اللي هو بعد السبت الكبير اللي هو بتاع عيد الفصح 
فده السبت اللي بعديه لان ابتدى موسم الحصاد يبتدي فسيد المسيح اكتاز من الزروع وكان تلاميذه يقطفون السنابل ويأكلونهم يفرقونها بأيديهم غالبا كانوا عايزين يأكلوا فلاقوا السنابل فابتدوا يقطفوها ويفرقوها ويأكلوا مين شافهم الفريسيين فقالوا لماذا تفعلون ما لا يحل فعله في السبوت هم هنا ما اتهمهمش بالسرقة لأن حسب الشريعة اللي عمله التلاميذ يجوز لكن وهو أصل السرقة غلط في السبت وغلط في بقية الأيام الأسبوع إنما هنا اعتبروا إن ده كسر لوصية السبت إن هما بيقطفوا السنابل بيفركوها اعتبروا ده إن ده عمل لا يحل فعله في السبوت حسب وصية الربيين فربنا جاوبهم بقى قال لهم انت عندكو دابل ستاندرد طب داود اللي عندكو نابل عظيم ده اما قرأتم ولا هذا الذي فعله داود حين جاع هو والذين كانوا معه لما كان هربان من ابشالوم كيف دخل بيت الله واخذ خبز التقدمة وأكل وأعطى الذين معه أيضا الذي لا يحل أكله إلا اللي كان فقط خبز التقديمة ده اللي هو خبز الوجوه كان بتغير يوم السبت فغالبا داود دخل الهيكل يوم السبت وخل الخبز ده والخبز ده ما كانش مفروض يأكله غير الكهنة يعني داود عمل تو فايليشنز كسر قاعدتين السبت وأكل خبز التقديمة ومع ذلك بالنسبة لهم داود ما عملش حاجة غلط إنما كراهيتهم للمسيح لما جم التلاميذ أخذوا شد سنابل فركوه عشان يأكلوا قالوا لا فهنا قالوا لهم عندكم معيارين للحكم على الأمور غير كده قال لهم إن ابن الإنسان هو رب السبت أيضا في ناس كتير يتهموا المسيحية يقولوا ربنا يسوع المسيح عمر ما أشار نفسه إلى أنه هو الله أو هنا هو يقول هو رب السبت يعني هي رب السبت يعني هو له سلطان على تفسير وصية السبت وصية السبت واحدة من العشر وصايا أذكر يوم الرب لتقدسه من الذي يفسر هذه الوصية من له حق هو ربنا يسوع المسيح لأنه هو الله الذي أعطى الوصية فهو الوحيد الذي يحكم إن كان ما فعله التلاميذ كسر الوصية السبت ولا لا وهنا ربنا بيعلن سلطانه على التفسير تفسير الوصية لأنه هو الإله الذي صار إنسان وبعدين وفي سبت آخر ربما بعد أسابيع بس لو أذكرها هنا عشان يكمل موضوع السبت لأن القصة هنا برضو لها علاقة بالسبب دخل المجمع وصار يعلم وكان هناك رجل يده اليمنى يابسه مشلول وكان الكتب والفريسون يراقبونه هل يشفي في السبت ده معناها ايه انهم عارفين انه عنده قوة للشفاء طب انت عارف انه عنده قوة للشفاء مفروض تعمل ايه تؤمن بي بس هو لأن قلبهم كان قاسي مليان بالشر 
فكانوا بيشوفوها يشفي ولا لا لكي يجدوا عليه شكايه بدل ما انت تتامل في قوه ربنا في الشفاء وتؤمن به لا انت عايز تقول عليه كسب للسبب فربنا عارف افكارهم اما هو في عالم افكارهم وقال للرجل الذي يده يابس قم في الوسط خلي بالك الراجل هنا ما طلبش الشفاء انما المسيح هو اللي ناداه وقال له اقف كده في الوسط فقام وقف ده نوع من انواع ان هو كان عايز يصحح لهم المفاهيم فكان لابد ان هو يتحدى المفاهيم الخاطئه عشان يصحح ويعطي المفاهيم السليمه للسلام فسالهم سؤال ثم قال لهم يسوع اسالكم شيء هل يحل في السبت فعل الخير ان انا اشفي الراجل ده ولا فعل الشر ان انتوا قاعدين منتظرين لي علشان تلاقوا شكايه عليا مين اللي بيكسر السبت انا ولا انتوا تخليص نفس ان انا اشفي الانسان ده من مرضه ولا اهلاك نفس زي ما انتوا بتتامروا عشان تهلكوني وتموتوني مين فينا اللي بيكسر السبت انا ولا انتوا مين كاسر للسبب ثم نظر حوله إلى جميعهم في مرقص يقول نظر حوله إلى جميعهم بغضب لأنه كان حزينا على قساوة قلوبهم وقال الرجل مد يدك قعد منتظر إجابة محدش جاوبه على السؤال بتاعه قال له مد إيدك ففعل هكذا الرجل ده ما قدرش يمد إيده لكن خد وصي من ربنا فمد ايده فعادت يده صحيحه الاخرى يبقى ربنا اداله وصيه واداله القوه على تنفيذ الوصيه ده لا ينطبق فقط على معجزات الشفاء اكبر معجزه هي شفاء النفس والتوبه ربنا لما بيقول لي بيديني وصيه زي ما قال الراجل مد يدك هذه الوصية تحمل القوة على تنفيذها ما تقدرش تقول لي لا مش قادر ربنا اللي ذاك الوصية اعتقد قوة على تنفيذها اللي قال لك اغفر اعتقد قوة على انك تغفر اللي قال لك حب عدوك اعتقد قوة على انك تحب عدوك لو راجل ده قال ده انا مشلول مستحيل ان انا اشفى وما حاولش يمد ايده كان خف كانش خف نفس الكلام واحد يقول انا ازاي احب عدو انا ازاي اسامح ده انا مجروح جرح كبير قوي فما بيحاولش يمد ايده مش هيخف مش هيتوب لكن ربنا اللي اداك الوصيه اداك ايضا القوه لتنفيذ الوصيه كل محتاجه مد ايدك بس اعمل اللي عليك وهتلاقي الوصيه سهله انها تتنفذ شاف الراجل بدل ما يمجدوا ربنا ويقولوا لعل هذا هو المسيح يقول فامتلقوا حمقا وصاروا يتكالمون فيما بينهم ماذا يفعلون بيسوع يخلصوا منه ازاي يقتلوا ازاي هنا ربنا طبعا عارف ان هم هيصلبوه وبعد كده هيصعد للسماء بعد قيامته لكن مين اللي هيكمل الخدمة بعد صعوده للسماء فربنا كان عايز ان الخدمة تستمر مين هالبشر بالانجيل ده للعالم كله عشان كده 
أول ما ابتدوا يتأمروا على قتله ابتدى يختار التلاميذ طب يختارهم إزاي هو أخلى ذاته أخلى ذاته يعني إيه لم يجعل اللهوت يتدخل مع نموه كبشر مش كده نقرأ يقولك وكان ينمو قليلا قليلا بشبه البشر واحدة ده معنى أخلاء الزاد فلأنه صار إنسانا كاملا إنسان بشري كامل فيصلي وقديس لقى كان في يعني مرات كتيرة لقى أربعة ولقى خمسة ودي لقى ستة بيؤكد على الصلاة في حياة السيد المسيح والقصص والأمثلة بتاعت الصلاة أغلبها موجودة في لقى هنا زي المرأة اللي طلبت بلجاجة وقاد الظلم إلى آخره ففي تلك الأيام خرج إلى الجبل ليصلي وقد الليل كله في الصلاة لله طبعا ده اختيار التلاميذ مش كده قد الليل كله في الصلاة لما احنا بيكون في رهبنة تلاقي الرهب يقضي طول الليل في الكنيسة ويصلي وأيضا في رسمات الكهنوت بتخلي ان الإنسان يقضي في الكنيسة طول الليل للإدرسم مفروض أنه برضو يقضي الليل في الصلاة كله زي زاد المسيح معنا ولما كان النهار دعا تلاميذه تلاميذه يعني كل الذين يتبعونهم واختار منهم 12 الذين سمهم أيضا رسلا رسلا هو أرسلهم فيبقى إذا إحنا بنقول التلاميذ لأنهم بيتبعوا يسوع ونسميه أبائنا الرسل إن هو أرسلهم برسالة الخلاص مين دولت؟ سمعان الذي سماه أيضا بطرس وأندراوس أخاي عقوب ويوحنا فلوبس وبرثلوناوس مدى وتوما يعقوب بن حلف وسمعان الذي يبقى الغيور يهوزة ابن يعقوب ويهوزة الإسخريوتي الذي صار مسلما أيضا المسيح اختار يهوزة وكان عارف إن هو هيسلم في يوحنا يقول أليس إني اخترتكم وبكم شيطان واحد منكم شيطان يهوز ابن يعقوب بس عايزة عمل كومنت عليها لو تقروها بإبتي نميودس انتي يكوز فأحيانا هو يهوز ممكن يكون أخو يعقوب مش ابنه فكلمة انتي يعني الذي يعني عايز ترجم مصبوط كده يبقى يهوز الذي ده يعقوب فممكن تبقى أخوه على أساس دولة الأربعة اللي هم أولاد خلط المسيح يهوزة ويعقوب ويوسف سمعان يعني ده دي بيت بس حبيت أقولك عشان أقولتها في حتة في ترجمة تانية يهوزة أخو يعقوب ما تتلخبطوش لأن هي بالإبطي ما قالش لا ابن ولا أخو قال الذي لي جوئي والجريك الجريك اللي اللانجوج الذي لي يعقوب فالذي لا يعقوب تحمل معنى أن هو أخوه تحمل معنى أن هو ابنه هما كانوا على جبل قضى الجبل في الصلاة واخترهم على جبل ونزل وقف معه في موضع سهل هو وجمع من تلاميذه وجمهور كثير من الشعب كلمة موضع سهل بقى دي مهم العزة اللي قالها المسيح هنا طوبة أيها المساكين طوبة أيها الجداء الجاع دي زي العزة على إيه على الجبل بس هنا العزة دي أعطيت فين في موضع سهل يعني أرض مستوى مش عجبة 
فدي خلت المفسرين يتساءلوا هما دول عزتين مختلفتين البعض قالوا عزتين مختلفتين لان واحده اعطيت من فوق الجبل والتانية اعطيت من على سهل راي تاني قالوا لا هي عزه واحده بس مد انتهى اللونج فيرجن يعني كامله ولو ذكرها مختصرا فبالذات تبقى عزه واحده واحنا بنقول هنا موضع سهل هناك يقولوا جبل جبل التطويبات ده لو انت زرت القدس ده جنب بحيرة الجليل لو انت واقف عند البحيرة هتشوف ده اكنه جبل لكن لما توقف على الجبل بتاع التطويبات تلاقيه زي السهل كده ارض فلات مستوى فيبقى ممكن يبقى جبل او ممكن بسهل في رأي بقى ثالث قال لك المسيح كان فوق الجبل ونزل على موضع سهل فهو قال العزم المطولة دي للتلاميذ وبعدين نزلوا تحت وقد العزم مختصرة للجمهور يعني دي كلها تفسيرات لكن في الآخر يعني اللي حصل هنعرفه في دون الأخير ونزل معه وقف فاطع سهل هو وجمع من تلاميذه وجمهور كثير من الشعب من جميع اليهودية والشليم اليهودية والشليم يبقى دولت يهود شعب المختار وساحة السور وصيدة دولت أمميين ومنهم غير اليهود يعني صيت المسيح وصل للأمم جاءوا ليسمعوا ويشفوا من أمراضهم وفعلا المسيح شفاهم والمعذبون من أرواح نجزة كانوا يبرأون اللي عليهم شياطين والمرضى والناس كانت بتشوف ازاي وكان كل جمع طلبوا ان يلمسوه مجرد يلمسوه في الوقت تمانية نزفت الدم قالت لو لمست خد بثوبه اخف لان قوة كانت تخرج منه وتشفي الجميع قوة كانت تخرج منه وتشفي وبعدين بقى هنا قال اربع تطويبات ووسطهم قال أربع ويلات ورفع عينه إلى التلاميذ وقال طباكم أيها المساكين من المساكين المسكين اللي هو أدرك فقره الروحي لأن أنا عندي فضائل ولا عندي بر أنا فقير روحيا ولو حاولت أقتني أي فضيلة بجهادي هفشل فشل تام يبقى الحل الوحيد ان انا اعمل ايه اعتمد على ربنا اي انسان بيثق في بره مش اعتمد على ربنا زي كنيس لودكية انت تقول اني غني وقد استغنيت ولا تعلم انك شقي ومسكين وفقير وبائس وعريان اول خطوة في التوبة ان الانسان يكتشف فقر الروح ده بدايه الطريق لملكوت الله طيب لما اكتشف ان انا فقير روحيا يبقى انا نفسي في ايه نفسي في البر بس البر الذي من المسيح مش البر اللي جاي بيعتمد عليا انا فابقى جوعان وعطشان الى البر طباكم ايها الجياع لانكم تشبعون كل ما الواحد يقف في صدر ربنا 
ويقول له يا رب أنا ليس لي بر ده أنا كل بر دي زي ما ذكر كخرقة الطاف أنا يا رب ماليش بر أنا واقف بقولك أعطيني من برك من الصلاة الجميلة الصلاة اسمها صلاة الحجاب يقولها الأب كان صلاة حجاب الهيكل كده قبل ما يقولوا الصوفية وقانون الإيمان في الصلاة دي يقولنا يقولكم للذيذ أقول لأننا لا نتكل على برنا بل على رحمتك هذه التي بها أحييت جنسنا لأننا لا نتكل على برنا أنا عنديش بر لكن أنا جاي يا رب قبل ما أخش جوه أنا عارف أن أنا غير مستحق أن أنا أطأ قدمي تطأ الهيكل أنا عارف غير مستحق عشان كده يا رب قبل ما بخش الهيكل بقف لك أنا داخل لأننا لا نتكل على برنا بل على رحمتك هذه التي بها أحييتك إنسان وبعد كده الإنسان اللي اكتشف فقر الروحي بيبقى حزين على خطايان طوبك ما يلبكون الآن لأنكم ستضحكون هتفرحون الحزن المقدس زي ما بولس الرسول في الجرونس الثانية سبعة الذي ينشئ توبة لخلاص بلا ندام لكن حزن العالم ينشئ موتا حزن العالم زي حزن يهوذا راح شنى نفسه حزن مقدس زي بطرس لما بكى بكاء مر وقدم توبة يبقى المساكين الجياع البكو الثالثة الرابعة أول ما أنت هتمشي مع ربنا الشيطان هيهيج الدنيا عليك الناس هتكرهك طوبة إذا أبغضكم الناس وإذا أفرزوكم هيطردوكم وعيروكم هيشتموكم وأخرجوا اسمكم كشرير من أجل ابن الإنسان أربع حاجات أبغضكم أفرزوكم عيروكم أخرجوا اسمكم كشرير من أجل الإنسان كل ده من أجل ربنا افرح وتهلل إزاي رب أفرح وأنا متبهدل البهدلة دي كلها يقولك أجرك عظيم في السماء ومش أنت الوحيد ده هكذا فعلوا بالأنبياء فرحوا في ذلك اليوم وتهللوا وزا أجركم عظيم في السماء لأن أباءهم هكذا كانوا يفعلون بالأنبياء أشعية 12 أرمية رمف جب إلي يقول له قتل أنبياءك وبقيت أنا وحدي فأنا بقيت واحد زي الأنبياء المكرمين دولا رجالا وبعدين بقى الأربع تطيبات وزنهم بأربع ويلات الأولى كتطوبة لكم أيها المساكين ويل لكم أيها الأغنياء لأنكم قد نلتم عزائف الغنى مش غلط الغلط الاتكال على المال فالغنى هنا معناه المتكلين على الأموال أو محب المال محبة المال أصل كل الشروط يعني بدل ما استخدم المال ده عشان أخدم بيه ربنا أستخدم المال ده عشان أخدم بيه شهواتي يقول أنت قد استوفيت خيراتك زي ما قال للغني والعازر أما العازر استوفى الملائم تانية طوبة للجياع تطويب التاني هنا طوبة وإلا لكم أيها الشباع اللي عملوا زي سليمان يقولوا مهما اشتهتوا عيني لا أمسكوا عنهم حاولت أن أنا أشبع نفسي بكل ملذات العالم 
بس مشكل شبعي شبع الحقيقي في المسيح لأنكم ستجوعون أغسطينوس في اعترافاته حاول يشبع نفسه بملذات العالم كان جوعان الجلست فوق قمة العالم حين أصبحت لا أشتهي شيئا من العالم ده الشبع تلت كان طوبة لكم أيها الحزانة أو البكون هنا ويل لكم أيها الضحكون ما بتكلمش كده عن الضحك في حد ذاته إنما بتكلم على ملذات والفرح العالمي الفرح اللي مليان بالخطية وغياب الفرح الروحي لأنكم ستحزنون وتبكون ودي احنا بنشوفه مثلا تلاقي ناس كده عامل ريسبشن وابتدوا يسكروا ويرقصوا ولما يسكروا في الاخر يضربوا بعض ويتخانقوا وتتحول اللي كانوا بيسموه فرح يتحول الى خناقه وبكاء وحزن. التطويب الرابع كان ويل لكم اذا ابغضكم الناس وفرزوكم وعيروكم واخرجوا كسبكم كشرير. هنا إسقال فيكم جميع الناس حسنا الويل بقى إن أنت بتدور إزاي ترد الناس وإزاي الناس تمدح فيك حتى ولا على حساب الحق حتى على على حساب وسيط ربنا وزي ما قال كان أبائهم بيفعلوا هكذا بالأنبياء الأبرار كانوا بيضطهدوهم ويطردوهم هنا قال لأنه هكذا كان أبائهم يفعلون بالأنبياء كذب يعني أرمية كان إيه مشكلته إن أرمية راح للملك وقال له لازم تسلم نفسك للسبي الأنبياء كذبة قال له لا ده ربنا بيقولك هتنتصر اوعى تصدق كلام أرمية ورما في الجب دولت خدوا مديح من الملك أبائهم كان يفعلون كذب الأنبياء كذبة وأرمية اتعذب وترمى في جب مليان طين لان قال كلمه الحق لكن في الاخر الناس دي اخذت مديحهم على الارض لكن في السماء ربنا هيقول لهم اذهبوا عني يا فعال الاسم الحق اقول لكم اني لا اعرفكم كده انتهي البيت بالصدي بتاعتنا النهارده لنعم كل مجد وكرام من الآن إلى الأبد